Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. It's just a, a great conference that is at a at a point right now where they're I think clearly the best group of five conference in the country. The state of Sun Belt football is the strongest in our history, uh, and we got to continue to showcase uh, what our league is about. This league is insane. Yeah, it might be like one of those eight wonders of the world. <laughs> and you can see just what a great group of five conference it really is. It, it's a big deal. Boy, life is looking pretty good in the Sun Belt these days. Belt Podcast. We are winding down the football season. Dusty Thibodeau of Warhawk Report, Jeremy Harper from Hal Razor. The season's almost over, Jeremy. Where, where did it go? You know, for some of us, it's been a really long trying season. I don't feel like it went by very quick. I feel like it just sort of slogged along. I don't know about you, Tibbs, because I know the Warhawks had a fairly exciting season this year. You, you're probably pretty stoked. Yeah, I mean, when when the season expectation is game and a half, I don't know how you win half a game, and you're sitting at four wins with still one game to go, yeah. maybe somehow they can pull out the fifth win. Yeah. <clears throat> We're not going bowling this year. But if we do, you know a place that I do want to go. Where would it be like, I don't know, like the Hawaii Bowl or the maybe the Paris Bowl or maybe, you know. Paris, the- Texas? <laughs> I'm just making up bowls right now. There's so many. Well, I mean, Hawaii Hawaii's always great, but, you know, yeah. that stadium hasn't been kept up. It's not real nice. Yeah, yeah. I heard it was condemned. Yeah, all right. Yeah, it's it's not real logistical. But we could go east okay. to Myrtle Beach and the Myrtle Beach Bowl. Ooh, yeah, that would be a good bowl to go to. You know, it would be great if we had somebody to talk to about the Myrtle Beach Bowl. We do. What? Rachel Quigley, the executive director. Is she in the green room right now? She is. You remember when we had Doug Mosley from the Boca Raton Bowl? We said he was the keeper of all Sunbelt Conference Bowls. He yeah. has passed the torch to Rachel, and she's now the keeper of all the Sunbelt Conference Bowls. No kidding. Well, we should bring her in right now. Definitely. Rachel, welcome in. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. See, when, when we told Doug that, he kind of gave the disclaimer right away. No, 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 no. Don't call me. I'm not the gatekeeper of all the bowls. Uh, I'm not quite the gatekeeper of all the bowls, but we'll have fun with it. You're, you're, you're representing the Myrtle Beach Bowl, one of the newest bowls out there. What was more frustrating, though, the fact that this bowl was approved in 2016 or that you finally get the green light 
and there's a global pandemic. I mean, I'm going to have to go with the global pandemic. It was last year was pretty frustrating, but honestly, there were so many bowls that weren't as lucky as we were, you know, with COVID positive, positive tests. And we actually were able to kick off and complete the game. So I really can't complain too much. So this year will be the first year that you actually, you know, get to go full tilt boogie. One of the things that uh, I got questions about what the what a full tilt boogie looks like. But one thing we asked Doug was we had a question about the goodie bags that uh, players get every year. Because some every year, you know, you, you get that 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 story that comes out, and there's a list. What are we going to get in the Myrtle Beach goodie bag? Yeah, well, we're pretty excited for the goodie bags this year, and I don't want to share too much with. Right. Them. I don't want to. Sp- I don't want to spoil it for the student athletes, but I'll tell you one thing that's coming in their goodie bag this year, and that's uh, the ice shaker bottle, which um, Chris Gronkowski um, invented, and it's a fantastic product, and I think the players are actually really going to like it. So it'll be a nice, nice addition to uh, their other gifts that they're getting this year. We also give them a subscription to uh, a Fun Belt podcast that's available through iTunes, Spotify, and everything else. Yeah, yes, that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what, one thing I did notice in doing research about the Myrtle Beach Bowl, there's no title sponsor. How are you all going about that of just being the Myrtle Beach Bowl? Sure. So while there's no title sponsor in the traditional sense, um, the game is supported by the local CVB, which visit Myrtle Beach um, is local. So hence the the Myrtle Beach Bowl being in the Myrtle Beach area. So we do have great support from that team. Um, In terms of a title sponsor, we've all been working hard all season to pursue some different national brands. And unfortunately, at this point, nothing's come to fruition, but we're hopeful that somebody will come through for next year. Rachel, how long have you been with the Myrtle Beach Bowl? I started in February of 2020, so literally weeks before everything shut down. Oh no! Okay. <laughs> so what the you know you, you know we only see bowls at the at the end of the year you know when there everybody is uh, has has made the announcements and people start getting ready to go. What is a year long preparation? What what are you doing for the for the eight months of the year when it, it seems like it's dormant but it's not really dormant? Right. Well, we're definitely working all year, like you referenced, but we plan ancillary events throughout the year. Like we just had a golf tournament a couple of weeks ago for our sponsors and other mm-hmm. local supporters. So that was a lot of fun. Hopefully next year during the summer months, we'll be able to host a youth football clinic for our community. And in addition to, you know, ancillary events, we're also just getting ready for the game. There's a lot that goes into it, you know, operationally ordering gifts, making sure that we have enough staff to work the game. So it's really a a whole year long process. Yeah, I know that Little Rock for a while. I'm from Arkansas and Little Rock was was kind of, jockeying for position for a, a new bowl game and mm-hmm. we didn't get the bowl game it ended up going I, it either ended up going to Myrtle Beach or Birmingham I can't remember which, where where it ended up going but uh there's a lot of of logistical things that a city and a town needs to have in order for a to win a a, a or to have be qualified for a bowl game uh how does Myrtle Beach how, 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 what do they have? What do you feel like is the strength of Myrtle Beach to get that bowl bid? 
Yeah, so, well, number one, I think, is the facility at Coastal Carolina University. It's first class. They just expanded it in the last couple of years, and they continue to make improvements to the stadium. In addition to just the facility itself, they have the staff to help support us, which they're all amazing people. Um, and then we also have a ton of different hotel properties for the teams, for fans, for the bands, for cheer to come stay at. And then we also have all of the attractions here as well. So teams can come, they have a nice place to stay in town. And then they also have lots to do, whether it's, you know, an activity that we plan through bowl week or it's an activity they'd like to go out and do on their own. So there's well, lots going on. How's the weather in December at Myrtle Beach? It's not too bad. Honestly, yeah. last year we had a fantastic game day. It was 65 degrees and sunny. Um, so really can't complain. We're hopeful that we'll have nice weather again this year, but yeah, it typically stays in the fifties and sixties through the end of December. So it's pretty nice. You talked about all the logistical things. This is one of 21 bowls that ESPN owns and runs. Y'all have a six year agreement to, I guess, be under that umbrella. What are the logistics or the things that ESPN does to really help put on the bowl game? Sure. I mean, they support us in many different ways from um, marketing and helping us with our budgets to, you know, sending people in to help us out to the production of the TV production of the game itself. Um, they support pretty much every aspect of, of our game um, and then of full week and also all of our ancillary events too. I mean, we just had um, Clint Overby with ESPN came in and supported us for a golf tournament. So we really have their support, not only bowl week, but year round, which is fantastic. So does ESPN have any say as to who Myrtle, the Myrtle Beach Bowl picks? Do they, do they give you a recommendation or a suggestion or is that all a committee for Myrtle Beach? Well, you know, there's a committee uh, selecting all the teams for the bowl games. ESPN has some say, obviously, um, our commitments would be to the Sun Belt, uh, to Conference USA, and to the Mid-American Conference. So typically, we're going to pull from uh, one of those three or two of those three conferences. Um, so they do have some say. And uh, we also look at, you know, who is closest to Myrtle Beach, who does it make sense to, to bring here. So, Jeremy, I, I guess my beloved Idaho Vandals are out of the picture, not only because they're FCS now. But they it should just, just be out of the picture no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. And they have they the Kimmy Dome. The Kimmy Dome. <laughs> so how did you get into the world of, uh, of, uh, of bowl games? What's the path that leads you to the Myrtle Beach Bowl? You said you, you got in in uh, 2020. What were you doing before then? So I was with Visit Myrtle Beach before handling all of their sports marketing for about six years. Um, before that, I had some other experience in sports um, with the Red Sox, Philadelphia Eagles, Clemson when I was a student there. I also studied sports marketing in college, so that definitely helped as well. Um, I think I'm possibly one of few people that actually uses their college degree. Um, that's, that's kind of how I got here. I used to do the, the Big South basketball championships that were in Myrtle Beach, um, helped with the Puerto Rico tip-off when that was relocated here a couple years ago. Um, and that's kind of when I was introduced to everyone at ESPN events. And then um, we also have the Myrtle Beach Invitational Basketball Tournament, which actually just wrapped up yesterday. So that's also through ESPN, and that's kind of how I, I got into the bowl game. 
Yeah, that's that's extraordinary. It, it is nice to where you can get a degree in something and you actually get to use that. Congratulations. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> I, I have like two degrees I don't even use. So yeah, I'm, I'm a little jealous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah we're just, I have an English degree, but you can do anything with that. So, uh, I, I, <laughs> so last year's game, not the best attended because I'm sure y'all were limited, 5,000 in attendance, but a great game for the Sun Belt with App State going on to win 56-28. Our, our favorite guy, Cameron Peoples, five touchdowns. That's got to be a record in almost any bowl, let alone in, in the, the inaugural year of the Myrtle Beach Bowl. How great was that game, and, and how great was it having kind of that regional draw there of Appalachian State in the game? Yeah, it was fantastic. Like you said, we were really limited on the number of people that we were able to have, um, but we were really grateful for the people that did decide to travel here. Obviously, um, App State pulls really well. They love coming to Myrtle Beach, um, so that was fantastic. We hope to be able to you know, have a team like that this year that is interested in traveling to Myrtle Beach and maybe spend some of their leisure time here as well. But really great first year. Um, we were really pleased. We were sold out of the, the 5,000 tickets that we had. So, I mean, I really honestly can't complain. We're just really excited for this year. Would you prefer to have an App State as opposed to a Coastal Carolina that it's another home game for them? Or, or does that even really kind of factor in? Well, I think Coastal Carolina would prefer to be in a game out of town. So, you know, this is a reward for the student athletes for a great performance throughout the season. And I don't know. I mean, if it was me playing on one of those teams, I would want to go somewhere other than home as well. So um, I definitely think that that's their preference. I think for us, um, we would like to have a competitive game. So if that means having Coastal, that's great. But um, we also want to do what's best for them. So it's a tough call. So we talked a little bit about Doug, about sort of the behind the scene process of, mm-hmm. of you know, once bowls or once, once people start thinking about bowls and trying to jockey for position, have the phone calls started yet about, hey, you know, uh, keep us considered? Or is that going to happen a little bit later and that once all the, uh, all the dust settles? Yeah, I definitely think some of that has started um, with the, you know, so many bowls being owned by ESPN. A lot of people contact, you know, the the powers to be at ESPN. Um, but I mean, we'll see. We still have another week and there's a couple more teams that I think might become eligible. So we'll see what happens. Now, for, for, for a couple of weeks, you're just insane with raw power, right? I mean... Um, <laughs> you can kind of determine the, the, the fate and future of, of, of so many programs. It must be fun. Yeah. I mean, we're excited. Hopefully we'll, like I said, hopefully we'll have a nice competitive game here. Um, we're excited for some people to come visit the beach, experience, you know, a full bowl week here in Myrtle Beach. So it's all good things. So I know you didn't have the full experience that you did. You could have because of COVID, but mm-hmm. after a bowl game, what happens in the weeks that follow? Is there a postmortem? Do you guys sit there and decide what went well, what didn't? Or do you just like hibernate for a month and then come back out and start all over again? I'd like to say that I hibernate, but uh, we definitely recap usually shortly after the holidays are over to make sure that we don't forget anything before next year. You know, we'll meet with Coastal, we'll meet with the CVB, we'll meet with the executive committee, anybody else that's, you know, heavily involved with the game, get their feedback. You know, what can we do better next year? What did we do well this year? Um, 
also we reach out to sponsors and get their feedback as well. And uh, we do take a little bit of time off, a couple of days to, to relax, catch up with our families and, you know, enjoy a couple of the holidays, Christmas and New Year's in there as well. And Jeremy, having worked in professional sports myself through two World Series and an ALCS run, um, yeah, there's a lot of sleep after all that's over <laughs> with. I can't imagine. I, you know, I, I put on a Halloween party uh, a couple of weeks ago, and after that, I was exhausted. So I can't imagine putting together something as big as a bowl or an ALCS that Dusty always likes to bring up and let us know that he was a big part of that. Well, I do have one parting question for, for Rachel. So the question that I have is, as you're a new parent, you just revealed to us while we we're off 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 stage that 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 you have just you have a baby daughter baby son baby son all right now dusty and i are old pros at (laughs) raising children you know we both have a kid in college we have both have another kid in high school by pro you mean they actually survive that long they they still exist yeah they we met we managed to survive the kids are fine the kids do whatever they want it's the it's the parents that have a hard time but i was wondering what have you learned in the first five months that you didn't know about parenting that now you know and you wish you had known coming in um mostly so far that i can live with less sleep than i thought (laughs) but that really it's a lot of fun it's probably one of the most rewarding things that you know I've had the opportunity to do probably the most rewarding. So it'll definitely be interesting uh, with uh, bowl season coming up, but we're really excited to actually take him to his first football game. So that'll be the Myrtle Beach Bowl this year. (laughs) You will never forget that. He's going to love that memory for the rest of his life when mom (laughs) took him to the Myrtle Beach Bowl for his first football game. Do you have anything for Rachel? I don't. I greatly appreciate you joining us and talking about the Myrtle Beach Bowl. Unfortunately, I don't think that we will be in attendance this year to the Myrtle Beach Bowl from the Fun Belt podcast, but definitely watching it, definitely recapping it. Want to have you back on sometime so we can recap another Sun Belt Conference win. We'll be 2-0 in the bowl. I have the feeling, Jeremy. I have the feeling. Rachel, if you can go ahead and pull some strings, I know of a two-win team this season who would love to go to the Myrtle Beach Bowl. I'm not saying who it is, but it's the Red Wolves. But if you could get us in, I will make it worth your while. I will send you a month's worth supply of diapers. And probably babysit. <laughs> I, I, I'm <laughs> worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rachel, for being on the show. We really do appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. I hope to see you guys in Myrtle Beach sometime. I, definitely. definitely. We love to be at Myrtle Beach. Yes. <laughs> Come on over. Thanks again. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks, Bye, Rachel. So, Jeremy, we talked football. Yeah. We're not in the running for, for a postseason no. game, but it's still early. We have basketball. Yeah. Warhawks got a big win today over in-state rival Northwestern State by 30 points. Congratulations. Kind of that they were playing at 2 in the afternoon in Ruston at Louisiana Tech. But, hey. It was strange to see that on my ESPN app. I was like, what the – what's this? It's out of nowhere, a game. Good. Yeah. You take wins where you can, even if it's at Louisiana Tech against Northwestern State. Well, you know, congratulations. I, I was just looking at the Sunbelt standings. One team, Thibodeau, only one team is below 500. Can you guess who that team is? Just because he refused to show up today. I'm going to say Georgia State, even though I know they're not. But I'm going to say Georgia State. Ben Moore is at Georgia State. 
Oh, he's not here today. He's not here. He can't defend Georgia State. We could say it's Georgia State. I think our listeners would believe it, right? It's on the internet. It's got to be true. They they wouldn't actually do the research. Look, actually, it's not Georgia State. Georgia State's doing okay. I think they're like 4-1. The team that is below 500 is actually something like 1-4 right now is the University of Texas at Arnold. Get them out of here. I, I think it's time to go. Well, you, you know, and, and I say that jokingly. I think in all of the realignment, obviously it's been very football-driven, but I think that they are on the look, the watch, the look, looking out for. I don't know how to say that. They're wanting out of the Sun Belt as well because they realize that this is going to be a football-driven league. They are really only members for baseball and basketball. So I know that Texas Arlington has been in touch with the Ohio Valley Conference about moving up. With them being at one and four, they need to start looking a little bit harder. (laughs) But I hesitate to push that because then that pushes Little Rock out. And Uh Little Rock's having a decent year at three and two. Uh Uh-huh three and one on the women's side, you you want to kind of hold on to them a little bit longer so that you have a good competitive net score for the NCAA tournament. Yeah, that is some really deep thinking, Dusty, about why we should keep UTA and why we should keep uh, UA Little Rock a bit longer. Personally, I think it might just be time to to rip off that Band-Aid. I have a feeling that UA Little Rock isn't crying about its possible ejection from the Sun Belt either. There are a lot of basketball-only conferences out there that I think would look at UA Little Rock and would look at, even on a down season, uh, uh, UT Arlington. And, and see a lot of value in those programs because this, both those programs are proven winners, have been to the NCAA tournament uh, in recent times, uh, can bring fans into the stands when they have a good season. So I, 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 I'm, I don't think that it's going to be one of those cases where I really felt sorry for New Mexico State, for instance. I really felt sorry for Idaho when oh, thank up. you. Thank you for finally admitting your love <laughs> I did. for Idaho. I, felt bad. I was like, sorry, you guys just don't fit. You guys aren't big enough. Sorry, you got to move on. I won't feel as bad for UT Arlington and for UL, uh, uh, U, uh, <clears throat> UA Little Rock simply because uh, they they will have cor- they will have people that want them in there. Easily. Yeah. I mean, uh, they're, they're good programs over the long haul. Yeah. They've Not been to the today. dance, as you said. Yeah, I mean, uh, they're fine. Yeah, and, and you know what? And you never know. UT Arlington might end up just winning the uh, Sunbelt Conference anyway. All they have to do is win the tournament, right? Yeah, all you got to do is win the regular season to go to the NIT or, or get yeah. that uh-huh. that hot streak going there in Pensacola, and, and, and then you're going dancing. You might be in Dayton for the first four, but, but you're still dancing. Speaking of dancing. I did a little dancing on Friday night. Um, okay. I don't know how this is related to the Sun Belt, but. It is related in a way because this is the first time that the University of Arkansas and Arkansas State University played a game of basketball in Jonesboro that wasn't pressured because of some NIT thing. Like 
several years ago, 2005, uh, thanks to NIT parents, Arkansas had to come to Jonesboro to play Arkansas State in women's basketball. Arkansas State won that game. And since then, Arkansas had no interest in ever coming back to Jonesboro. But Friday night it happened. University of Arkansas, Arkansas State, it was uh, something we tried to bill as our roos and woos, uh, woo pig suey, our roo wolves. And uh, it was, for about a quarter, a really good game of basketball. It's still always mind-blowing to me that women's basketball <laughs> goes on the quarters instead of the halves like the men. There's times I wish men would adopt that. and Other times I wish the women would just go back to the halves. Quite frankly, I thought when women, the women's league or a conference, or I thought when the women's teams did that, I thought that was just sort of a soft launch for the men to do it. Because to me, it just made sense. Let's just, just like the pros, let's have the quarters and uh, we'll work it out that way. That never happened. I don't know why. But I'm telling you, quarters is kind of an interesting way to play basketball. It's, it, it feels very quick. It feels very uh, high paced. You know, it kind of keeps the flow of the game going. 20 minutes, you know, it, it, it seems like it, it can feel kind of long. And then all of a sudden that time is gone. So it, it just it just has a different feel to it. But the Arkansas State, uh, Arkansas game turned out to be for a quarter pretty competitive. That SEC talent just got a little bit too big for uh, for uh, A-State women who's, who who have struggled in the last four or five seasons, have not it's, <laughs> do not have that same uh, sort of uh, I don't know, caliber of winning as they did back in 2005. Uh, so, but it was well attended, had a pretty big crowd to watch the two teams play. There are plenty of Hog fans, there are plenty of Red Wolves fans there. To us, it was like, it seemed like this is something that could be sustained that we'd like to see happen a little more often. So history was made Friday night in Jonesboro. Uh, I know with you guys at, at, uh, at ULM, in-state rivalries are sort of like that's not that's not a big deal but at Arkansas that was a big deal it was groundbreaking so it was pretty exciting for us yeah I mean to to jump ahead to the next episode there where we talk football ULM played at the flagship of LSU and if there were 50 or 60,000 which I know on our level we're like whoa there's 50 or 60,000 <laughs> that stadium looks so empty that there was just nobody at that game and on the flip side of that, when you look at kind of the other sports of basketball, baseball, softball, soccer, they're all pretty well attended. Anytime it's an in-state school playing an in-state school. So it's always interesting to kind of see that. You were talking about, or, or, or we were talking earlier about kind of the difference between the men's and the women's games, the halves and the quarters. The other thing I really like about the women's game, no 10-second rule. If you want to spend all 30 seconds of the shot clock in the backcourt, Go for it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I don't know if I have an opinion on that one way or the other, because I didn't really even notice that. But I, I will say this, is that it was – I don't watch a lot of women's basketball. Uh, I, I'll, I'll catch a game or two on ESPN3 when I feel like uh, maybe the Red Wolves are playing a good opponent. But I've never really been – I had the bandwidth to pay attention. But they really brought – uh, some excellent basketball on Friday night. So it made me think maybe I should be paying more attention to the, to the games because it was a very entertaining game. Yeah, you, you mentioned there's only one team on the men's side below 500. There's only one team on the women's side below 500. 
Yeah, so I guess the Sun Belt is, you know, we were talking earlier offline. We were talking, well, there hasn't been a marquee win for the Sun Belt so far. Uh, Louisiana, I believe, got tanked by Indiana. I know my Red Wolves got blasted by Illinois. I think, uh, uh, I know that the Warhawks, who, you played like Auburn and LSU, right? Yeah, and the, and the Auburn game was competitive-ish. Yeah. Um, LSU game was not not a fair fight at all. No, but, no but you know, I mean, just like in football, you you got to play those games to to pay the pay the bills. Yeah, but I'm always looking for the Sun Belt to come out with that one team that just creates chaos for everybody. Uh, you know, when Georgia State went and played, um, was it the Richmond Spiders? It was the Richmond Spiders. Why can't why couldn't Georgia State do a better job against the Richmond Spiders? I don't know. I know the Richmond Spiders have always had a good basketball team. They always do a good job. I would just like to see the Sun Belt win some more of those games. And as far as UT Arlington being at the bottom of the list there, it's a little surprising to me too, because UT Arlington to me has always been one of those programs that puts up some pretty good basketball teams. So that, that's kind of a, a, a little bit of a shocker for me. And, and, and there are some good games coming up. You know, I think you kind of have these initial warm-ups against the non-D1s, the NAIA schools. But even as we speak, Coastal Carolina head coach Cliff Ellis never gave us our invite. They're already in the Bahamas without us, Jeremy. We volunteered. We, we volunteered. And they are going to take on Valpo and then the infamous TBA because it is a little mini bracket that they have down in the Bahamas for there. The most interesting game to me this week, though, Louisiana Lafayette travels to Marshall. Ooh, yeah. That's going to be like a future Sunbelt on Sunbelt violence. That is going to be some good basketball. And then ULM, as as I mentioned, they played Northwestern State today in Rust and another little mini round-robin tournament. They play Louisiana Tech on Wednesday afternoon there in Ruston. I know you've been excited about that game. Usually. (laughs) <laughs> are you not this year you, you know I, I feel like this team has kind of Jekyll and Hyde okay. you, you but they just have not really kind of gelled or clicked yet to show what they can or can't do this season so I'm still on on the sidelines still a little skeptical about what exactly they can or can't do this year we'll see you know what game I did catch or at least the last half of a couple days ago South Alabama versus Alabama. Did you yes. see any of that, Dusty? I did watch a little bit of that. I was impressed with South Alabama. I am impressed with them being a NCAA transfer all-star team. That <laughs> that that yeah, they have the talent, but they are playing together already, which is scary, scary, scary. Yeah, and they looked every bit as physical as Alabama, who's a top ten team, big SEC team. D- didn't seem out of their element at all in that game. Now they ended up losing by 10 or 12 or whatever it was, but it was one of those sort of junk points at the end type stuff where, but for, for many, for, I think at halftime, South Alabama was leading that game and it was a real back and forth affair. Uh, South Alabama is going to be trouble in the Sun Belt this year. Without, I a, without a doubt. I, 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 I think if they can stay healthy, I think that's the key. I yeah. think Texas State also showed that they are a pretty good team when they were leading LSU at the half. And, and 
we talk about quarters. If there was a quarter, they'd probably have been winning that game through about three quarters. And then really, yeah. I think their depth is their issue that they just weren't able to sustain mm-hmm. the pace of game against the SEC caliber team and fell late in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And we were talking a little bit about Georgia state earlier, talking about their, their loss to Richmond. I haven't seen, I haven't seen Georgia state play, but I haven't seen also Georgia state play a team of any real caliber yet, except I think, Ooh, I think was there like, Oh, Wal- Wofford. And they destroyed Wofford. So we really haven't seen a whole lot of, of what Georgia state can do. I saw that Appalachian State got beat by a point by Charlotte. So I don't, I don't know what's going on with Appalachian State. I don't know if they're ready to defend their Sun Belt title or not. They got uh, robbed at the end. I did see the very end of that game. And I see that Indiana completely destroyed what was once an undefeated Cajuns team. I'll tell you, uh, Coach Bob Marlin down at Louisiana Lafayette always has his team ready to play. I was interested to see how they were going to do this season, knowing that they had so many guys transfer out that you were interested to see how much more talent did they have. And early on, I I thought they did a pretty good job of of showing that they did have some depth and some players ready to step up. But, you know, Indiana, I know the Hoosiers have been down a little bit here these past few years. They're still but Indiana. Yeah, it's 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 Indiana. Yeah, yeah, they're still Indiana. Troy lost to North Dakota. I don't think of North Dakota as a bastion for basketball, but we do know that Troy is still sort of trying to figure things out. I see yeah, that. Ten- and that game was at another one of those little round robin preseason tournaments down in the good old Boca, um, oh. North Dakota. They probably thawed out and actually realized that they could play. <laughs> uh, so what do we have for Thursday? Do we have any Thursday? Oh, we do. South Alabama and San Diego. And then uh, my guys, Arkansas State, they have a little round robin tournament coming up, starting with Moorhead State. So uh, a, a good mid-major matchup there. Uh, Moorhead State, always one of those teams that, that's in the NCAA tournament every two, three years. Always a good yeah. measuring stick. Well, Little Rock plays Tulsa. That will be a good game on Friday as well. That's about it. You know what? What we really need to have a basketball chat is to have Ben Moore on because he is Mr. Basketball. He is Mr. Basketball. And he's not on tonight. He so is we've not kind on of been rambling through this basketball thing as best as we can, heroically. Heroically going through basketball without our main basketball weapon. Well, we just know that Georgia State would win the Sun Belt regular season and tournament, and then they will come in as a fourth seed in the NCAA regional where oh. they advance all the way to the Sweet 16. Wow. That would be really cool. Oh, by the way, did uh, ULM – does ULM play men's soccer? No. Okay. I saw that Georgia State actually had won a few games in the tournament before bowing out and getting beat by somebody. But once again, we can't ask Ben Moore about because Ben Moore's not here. Ben Moore's not here. Yeah. Will he be here tomorrow? Lord willing. Uh, maybe we can ask him about men's soccer then. Until then, I'm Jeremy Harper with Pal Razor. He's, he's Dusty Thibodeau from Warhawk Report. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>